Stop right there. This is illiterate. This week we are covering Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. I checked out the Oscar winner's brand new feature film out on Hulu. And I went from the history of board games to missing persons reports. Thanks for being with us. My God, what an opportunity it is to do Agatha Christie. Something again, living up to the title. Don't know anything about uh, anything about <laughs> this this lady, and I can't wait to dive into it, Taylor. Because she has she has so much. The Duchess of Death, the Mistress of Mystery, the Queen of Crime. She is. Who done it, baby? <laughs> I mean, she is the one that put it all together. I'm a huge fan of movies like. Clue, the old Tim Curry movie. It's one of been yeah. my favorite movies since I was a little kid. Uh, re- more recently, this one also makes me think of heavily the, the Ryan Johnson film, Knives Out. What a fun one in the whodunit film. For sure. Know, in this genre. Um, but I even like it when the whodunit stuff comes out even in horror. It, it comes out in a lot of other, blended into other genres. But man, this is straight up whodunit. <laughs> and we are going to get to why in the world we yeah. keep making these things because uh, here's just some craziness the copies of her works that have been sold are surpassed only by the bible and the total works of william shakespeare oh wow (laughs) that's how many novels short story collections plays everything that she has sold good lord and so that's what i mean is like all those other titles i i talked about all that stuff is inspired by all of this stuff (laughs) yeah whole genre (laughs) yeah and not only amount but also duration so wrote this play the mousetrap that is the world's longest running play it has been performed since 1952 continuously except 2020 when nobody could do anything that was the only time but since then um, and then we of don't course, count that. yeah, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> nobody could do nothing. But also over thirty feature films based on her work, and so many television films and series. Is those are just direct adaptations? I mean, yeah. just like think about just how much that this just is in our lexicon. It will never. She's rooted in. She's rooted into our culture forever and all time. <laughs> yeah. So jumping right into the context stuff, she's developing this during the golden age of detective fiction, which we discussed around Sherlock Holmes and Ola Holmes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I still don't know dates before 1950. I don't really... Gotta look it up. <laughs> Conan Doyle and Sherlock were 1887 to 1927, mm. and her book, her first book comes out in 1920. So gotcha. she's on the tail end of when Sherlock Holmes is is ending. She starts 33 years after Doyle's first mention of Sherlock Holmes. Okay, um, so, okay. so very much in her autobiography, she was still writing in the Sherlock Holmes tradition. It's got all the stuff that he set up of the eccentric detective, the stooge mm-hmm. assistant, the Scotland Yard type police detective that yes. outwits. You know, what, what she does different, we're going to get into that, but first- it very much is intertwined in her life. So I figure it's worth just starting from the bottom where she comes from and all of the experiences that she has. Absolutely. Because what she's known for is all these intricate plots. So born 1890, upper middle class wealth, <laughs> several houses wintering elsewhere, you know, that kind of thing. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs> Perfect. She learned to read at age four and was educated at home the whole time. She has siblings who are much older, so she's basically an only child. But of course, okay. later she goes to boarding schools in Paris and, like I said, winters in Egypt and 
though at this time as she, in her adolescence, she's watching the polo matches and dancing and shopping and doesn't care about the archaeological wonders and history. This is her, the courting phase. She gets married in 1914 to a British officer, Archie Christie, hence the last name. Uh-huh. And she served in voluntary aid for the Red Cross during World War I. So this is how she gets the start of her knowledge of poisons and ways that you could end people surreptitiously without oh other Lord. people knowing, because she's working in the, in the pharmacy and knowing this sort of thing. But also, at times, it can be very boring because once it's all organized and nothing's happening, she's just sitting around the station. So this is really the start of her detective-type writing where, like I said, she loves Arthur Conan Doyle and all his detective junk and writes her first detective novel called The Mysterious Affair at Styles in 1916. Oh, yeah, I like it. This... I like titles. <laughs> She's good titles. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. This is rejected a few times and then was changed how the solution was revealed because it was revealed in a courtroom. And then they said, oh, no, just the editor was like, reveal it all together with everyone there in the sitting room or what have you. And then that becomes a big trope is the <laughs> detective kind of laying it out to everyone. Right. So, so what, from what I understand is that this detective genre the the sherlock-esque mm-hmm. nature of these things is more, you know we're going all over the city it's like come on watson we're tr- we're going here we're going <laughs> all over the place whereas the, her her work is is much more closed in it's much more about a setting about a, a place and time and this has happened and we need to get to the bottom of it pronto so definitely it, yeah okay this is some of her tropes nobody like yeah. the, it just happened nobody moved you know that <laughs> that is that is her to a t yeah so this is a whole subgenre titled now called the closed circle mystery or another way that people say is cozy detective fiction because mm. like you said there's a crime mm. very <laughs> early on sometimes the crime has already happened and it's discovered somebody in the mm-hmm. closet yes. dead yes. and there's limited suspects but they all have means motive and opportunity and it's more figuring it out rather than searching for the perpetrator that right. we've yet to encounter so she really if not solidified started this trend the the and, idea of the murderer is amongst us yeah <laughs> and <laughs> It, nobody else can come in. So this is why it's also called the country house mystery because mm-hmm. it allows limited access to outsiders and what she knows, characters with an upper class background. We're all at a weekend house party and this happens or there's a snowstorm and now we can't, you know, so there's no way. By God, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm taking a, bi- a big detour right here, but we put on a party just like this where Very we much, put on- <laughs> yeah. I didn't even, we didn't even talk about this. Yeah, so like the murder <laughs> mystery genre, like the the dinner theater type stuff right. is all, yeah. Now you can just buy that in a box and we like, you you like really engineered yours, but now it's very easy to just like, you can buy, you can like buy the kit or whatever, but like what a blast that was, but uh, yeah. this, this the, the dinner party. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And this is where in this first book, The Mysterious Affair at Styles, Hercule Poirot, he is the star and then one of her primary, if not her primary, detective carrying over book to book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So some of the stuff that he does that is a little bit different is in terms of solving it right then and there, the tactics, because it's still clue-based, but a lot of his stuff is more about getting people to talk, the psychology of the murderer to uncover information from people, and he also acts like a ignorant foreigner or plays up his 
angles or lies about his past to get people to reveal things. Mm-hmm, it's much mm-hmm. more ab- about that psychological subterfuge and interrogation than here's a clue, here's a clue, here's a clue. Like you said, running yes. around London trying to figure <laughs> it out. Getting in the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I don't know if you, I mean, you saw the new stuff, if that's still upheld in the sense of it's a, a closed off location. They, so what I really like about the two of them now um, is because it they they do use the setting. It is still very closed off. Uh, yeah. and it is it is doing a lot with the idea of we're in the room where it happened. Nobody move. I mean, it really is hearkening down on that. It does expand a bit. If people have seen the first one, the train breaks down and they have to do a little bit outside the train. But mm-hmm. generally, you're staying on the train and it's about the scenic route that you're on. Yeah. getting to that destination very much so like this one it's a steamboat and you're traveling down the <laughs> nile as the murder murders happen <laughs> yeah. uh, so they, they they really lean into the the setting as well on this one and as in this one in particular it's it, it's a big contrast from like the snowy mountains and the wilderness of the uh, orient express this one were in egypt i mean it's pretty yeah. incredible i i hadn't thought I, when, as it was playing, I was trying to think back to the last time I'd seen like a period Egypt film. Yeah. So they definitely lean into things that we haven't seen, big set pieces and colors uh, and cultures that we haven't really seen too much of uh, at this scale. Yeah. I think they were planning to do a, a you know, a big IMAX, you know, <laughs> right. big visual release. And, and maybe because of it being this comfort uh, yeah, cozy, fiction. Uh, yeah, cozy, cozy, yeah, cozy fiction because it, it might work better at night on my couch. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I hate to say that as a film guy, but like, honestly, I think it might be true. I think yeah. at the same time, I think people are, it still was, is going to find its audience because it plays better in this setting to be quite frank. And it it is interesting that it does do a little, because it is film has to do it a little differently. Novels are cozy and we're in one place and it's more deducing and like you said there's a murder slash murders it's not without its drama and it, it yeah we get to see these this big scope for just a moment and then we go to our we go to our boat and then the boat is going to dock somewhere and then we get another chance to take a breath and take another they, they go to interesting uh, yeah they go to another big monument on the on the nile i mean it's an incredible chance to get off the boat it feels like you're stretching your legs for a second <laughs> and then a little piece of action happens and they go, oh, danger. And they get back on the boat, basically. <laughs> so, it's you know, it, yeah. it, it's really put together in a way that I think lulls you through uh, what would become otherwise a little monotonous sitting in a room with a bunch of people going, who did it? Or just straight up Indiana Jones action. Right. And that doesn't work because the these side. are all yeah. old people. Like, <laughs> right. There's a lot of old people in this movie. Like, and that's okay. Well, but and like, from the start. Not, yeah. From the start, Poirot. It's not an action film. Yeah. It's a, it's a mystery, you know? He starts in this first mysterious affair at Styles. He's retired. <laughs> and he's, you know, like. Yes. He, now, that's the other thing, too, in terms of uh, connecting it to the time and place. He comes from Belgian refugees during mm-hmm. World War One, So that's why. He's there. That's why he's at this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because he's being taken in. And so it's like it also was very sort of patriotic in a sense to express sympathy to Belgium and explain Mm -hmm. why he would be out of sorts and solving mysteries at this English country house. So that also was another thing where it was like, I have to say the prologue, um, there's a black and white prologue that sets all that up in World War One. It's got some of the most striking cinematography i've seen in a movie this oh. year and i'm absolutely shocked <laughs> that it's in this one uh it looks like you're watching 
<laughs> black and white classic film. I mean, it's ab- it's absolutely gorgeous, but it does not. I've thought for real for at least a couple seconds, and maybe I'd clicked on the wrong title. Um, no. but, <laughs> uh, but what they do with that piece of it is is really interesting. And we I, there's a there's another point I want to bring up later about this prologue idea. <laughs> yeah, we will hold that bit for when we get to the the more modern movie stuff. Like I said, he was the biggest detective that she kept in in with 33 novels 50 short stories so yeah okay so this is one of her biggest properties but yeah w- how many other characters were similar um why yeah you know, that that's one of the other things i'm wondering is like well what are the other characters that are like this that she had that didn't why did he why did he keep on well you know? so there's another one miss marple which I mm. regret that we can't get into. She yeah. was in some short stories in 27, 1927. She's an opposite, basically, elderly spinster who solves crimes in her village life, and she's very nosy. She appeared in 12 novels and 20 stories. And like I said, we can't even get into this. <laughs> Six main feature films, TV films, BBC TV show from 84 to 92, which adapted all of her stories. And then there was another series, more modern, from 2004 to 2013, there's, I think, at least three or four other detectives that are also wow. that, that also have their own smaller chains of, of novels. But Poirot and Miss Marple are the biggest two. And Miss Marple, that's, that's basically all we can say about her without <laughs> running out of time. But yeah, she is another extreme moneymaker with dozens of, of works and adaptations all over the place. Um, Interesting. Okay. But because er- I yeah. ask this because there's a meme going around where they've used a piece of her critique of her own character as dialogue in this film, diegetically from one of the characters critiquing him. Oh, uh, so it's it's Agatha Christie's yeah. critique of her own character out of a character in the movie's mouth. What is? Uh, do you remember what it is? Right. That was hers. It, She kind of goes on as a monologue, but it ends with a bombastic, egocentric little freak. (laughs) If that gives you any idea of like, she detests this character. So I'm sitting here going like, okay, so they put this in as a quote from Agatha Christie as this dialogue, but she kept writing this character and she had other characters. So I'm just, I'm just curious as to why you would keep writing a character that you despise that much. So it's very much, I don't know if you remember with Conan Doyle and Sherlock, he grew really tired of him and then killed yeah, him and then people yeah. unsubscribed. <laughs> yeah. So she very much like, by the 1930s, this is from her diary, she, sh- she said that he was insufferable, Poirot. Right. And then that quote is from, again, from her diary in the 60s. And so mm. she didn't kill him because she's also very attuned to the business of it and being like, people like him. Yeah, okay. And it, and it works well enough to keep going. But her as an author is tired of him. But, you know, she just kept doing it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's more of a business. Sometimes you got to pay the bills. You know <laughs> what I mean? You got a good thing going and you can give it to the people and the people want it. Sometimes maybe you got to deliver. I don't know. There's a whole. <laughs> what's the Stephen King movie? I for, uh, oh God, misery. Uh, I can't remember where misery. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the struggle. It <laughs> Just is struggle. write it, write it the way we want it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of the writing and what she wanted, her style along with the mystery whodunit closed cozy fiction, mm-hmm. the, the consciousness of England at the time. So interestingly. Most of her stuff features a, a huge lack of pubs because she never smoked or drank Interesting. anything. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So that very much. And then she's also quite averse to 
violence. So it's mostly the poisoning stuff where it's found later. You know, there's yeah. not uh, yeah, yeah. murdering right in front of everyone's face, slicing their right. head off. Yeah, it's it's none of that. Although some of the other detective stuff, you know, that's the thrill is how grisly the the killing was and how could who could do such a heinous thing. That's not as much her stuff. Right. And then the motivation that ends up being the reason people kill is often money because yeah. that was a concern for her family when her father died in her adolescence. Mm, okay. So even though it's, you know, she was living there the high go, life, yeah. there was still very much, how are we going to get through this? And then with that, the class consciousness which is what people perceive as being very British, the Englishness. It's how all the characters interact with each other. For example, in one piece, there's a servant who brings the police into the dining room rather than the drawing room because mm. police are an in-between status. They're not gentlemen and they're not commoners. And so all of that kind of air uh -huh. of class consciousness is people not in England are getting all of these sensibilities from her work. That she is either satirizing in some points, which adds to right. the humor, or pointing out as strange, or or whatever it might want to be. Fascinating. Well, I mean, I, I'm thinking about the the crime genre, the detective genre. Yeah, the way that she's moved it in the room, and the way that she's able to retell the same story in the room so many times. The way that she's able to reinvent that magic trick, walk you around the magic trick so many times that you should be able to figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> but you didn't. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm struck at how endless it feels like you could really reconfigure that Rubik's Cube into something that was satisfying by the end and how she's really the one to kind of show you that mm -hmm. that trick in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just fascinated. Not only does it work in her writing, but it works on stage and it works in that medium punched up to uh, to ex accentuate yeah. what works in that medium. And the same is true in film. Uh, what you can do, how you can tell a story, include people in. I mean, you really should be able, a good director, and I'm sure Kenneth has done this, uh -huh. is you should be able to after the fact we watch this movie and see oh look he's giving you the clue right here mm -hmm. in this shot look you didn't even notice that that's in the background you know what i mean yeah no that's, um, that's smart yeah that all all these or different things I didn't, have different or overt things like i didn't understand what the close-up on the paint was supposed to be about oh my god <laughs> he was telling me overtly and i just don't know you know what i mean yeah um I, i'm just i'm 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 really enjoying this idea of, I mean, look, it looks like it works on stage. It works on film. It works as a game. I love Clue. I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with, the, yeah, two, two things to that. I haven't read, you know, all of her works obviously, but I know sure. that she killed off her Watson. Well, not killed him off, but like he, the, the Watson-esque character got married off. So there isn't no. this equivalent uh, secondary character. Cause that's usually what happens with, Sherlock Holmes is he is mm -hmm. explaining it as it's going on to Watson and connecting the yes, dots exactly and that's come on Watson while they get in the car yeah. and go across you idiot town, this you is know. what happened yeah but, <laughs> obviously but with <laughs> but with her Poirot series you as the audience are 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 trying to do all of that and then mm -hmm. when he explains it all that's why people like it because it's this tension and release but then also you're like oh it, i should have done that while he was right. doing it but i did it's not it's fun because with a sherlock with a sherlock story I'm going to meet the killer in the last five seconds and I've never met him. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and her stuff is so much fun is because it kind of has this kind of the format, the rules of it are over. They're, it just happened. They're in the room with us. <laughs> like we know that they are amongst us. It is de 
detectable. It, we can figure this out. And that gets that gets an active audience mm-hmm. really going when you know, when you're implored that, oh, man, there's a little game here and I maybe mm-hmm. I can figure it out before the movie tells me. Yeah. Uh, well, sp- that yeah. gets people to lean in. And then, yeah, second thing, speaking of the game stuff, so Cluedo for non-US and then Clue was developed not by her, this guy, Anthony Pratt, during the air raids on Birmingham in World War II in England. He was a musician mm. and a fan of the murder mystery games, the, the dinner theater stuff. Mm-hmm. His clients, when he's playing the music at these events, how and, and also obviously Agatha Christie fiction. So he patented this board game and then it got licensed in 49 and wow. thus becomes the cause of it was a, a mixture of those things. Yes. Uh, you know, it's just such a different thing than like, well, I... Ah, uh, obviously he did it because his father left him, but we just got introduced to yeah. him five <laughs> seconds ago. Ah, dumb Watson, didn't you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with, the, with her stuff, we know the pieces are all here. We just have to put it together. And, that's, and if we're paying attention enough, we know that the storyteller is giving us the clues along the way. Yeah, and as we go through some of her other works here and some strange stuff in her life, you'll see how she is messing around with that form because how do you do it? 66 novels and a bunch of short stories, you know, like how it, it can't always be the, it can't be always be who you think it is, you know, <laughs> right, like right. you have to triple reverse red herring something, you know, so right. we'll, we'll get into some of that, but just we're, we're still on her first book that she did that people liked the mysterious affair at styles. She gets a five book deal from that, which she thought she got the raw end of. So from here on out, she again, the business type stuff. She's like, I want my money. I want control, mm-hmm. all that. She also is doing short stories for The Sketch magazine. She went on a 10-month promo tour for the British Empire exhibition with her husband, who is the officer, military stuff. But it's it's promoting the British museum and all the stuff that they stole and all, you know, right. that kind of thing. So travel. She goes all over the world. She goes to South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Hawaii, Canada. Wow. One of the weirdest claims to fame with her is she's one of the first British people to surf standing up because very few people had visited Hawaii. And there she, upon her travels, learned to surf and then also hung, hung 10. Hung, like, yes! <laughs> oh my God. Agatha Christie. Yeah. She's, she's wicked. Uh, <laughs> she's Cowabunga. curious and exploratory. Did she ever write a murder mystery at a hotel in Hawaii? (laughs) (laughs) She was writing during this time. Yeah. I mean, very much could have been the case. But one of the things that happened close to this time frame, her mom passes away in April of 1926. This Mm. hits her horribly because, like I said, she was essentially an only child and then her father Mm -hmm. died. So it was a lot of her and her mom and her mom teaching her at home. She goes away to another village. This was reported. You know, she's trying to recuperate on her own. In August of 26, her husband, Archie, wants a divorce. He's classic fallen in love with the secretary. No. uh. So 12 years of marriage, they've been together when he decides this is what he wants. My God, my God. Um, in, In December of 26... Reminds me of the Righteous Gemstone stuff. She disappears. Mm. She's gone. No, really? Here we go. Okay. Real life, this... gone. Her No way. Her car is found parked above this quarry, and in it is an expired driver's license and clothes that were packed. And so, chaos. What yarn are you spinning <laughs> me now? <laughs> this, this just turned into a Netflix documentary. Yeah, so <laughs> they're- uh, 
I mean, insane. A thousand police, fifteen thousand volunteers, airplanes, which they'd never used before. This is wow. front page on the New York Times. Agatha Christie's car was found at the edge of the wood line with her clothes inside. Missing. <laughs> so many thousands of people looking, scanning the countryside. They get who guess who? Arthur Conan Doyle, even though he's not a detective, what? he's a novel oh, writer, you know, like he's on the case. But if you remember what's <laughs> weird is he was not he was super into like the paranormal and and spiritualism so yes, he yes, gave yes. one of her gloves to a spirit medium to help try and f- that was his <laughs> I love effort this. in this search <laughs> 10 I love this yeah. I, they're pr- sitting there like harnessing the power <laughs> of the glove yeah 10 days they could not find her and what? no no way to know where she would be oh my god a hotel band member one of the saxophonists from a hotel 184 miles north of her home, still in England, called the police and said, yeah, I think she's here. I think this this woman who's coming to watch our show every night looks like <laughs> her. Uh, they go over there. It is her. She Hey, uh, she's just here every night <laughs> getting loaded and she doesn't pay. <laughs> well, actually, no, she doesn't drink. Not she doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's weird. Just, yeah. Um, yeah. So. What is weird is that she registered under the name of Mrs. Tressa Neal, which was the last name of her husband's secretary, the lover. Neal was uh, the name. And ouch. She just goes back on with her life. The divorce ends up getting filed two years later. But what's what's what? So they just drag her back to her life. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what's crazy is so her autobiography makes no mention of any of this. It's just completely. Like, so you faked your death and then just got hauled back to reality. Well, so so this is <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to forget about this it. is one of the craziest conspiracies about her because doctors at I the time, this. they diagnose it as genuinely loss of memory. It was like a fugue mm. state, like she mm-hmm. just had these horrible things happen to her really, really close in time within the span mm-hmm. of a couple months and then just walked out and had no idea what she was doing. And, you know, then wow. the the other side of it is, of course, all the myriad conspiracies is that. She was trying to embarrass her husband by framing him, you know, didn't get the result. Well, you know, I wonder immediately what I, because I, I went, ooh, when the secretary's name is the name that she gives, because that definitely made it into the papers. Yeah. And so I feel like she's smart enough to know. That was my first reaction. And I think she's definitely smart enough to know that, that as soon as she's probably waiting to be found. Yeah, who, I mean, there's so, that so all much. of that can get reported. <laughs> there's so you know? much. Yeah, I mean, somebody that's also was like, it could have been a car accident, and then that gave her brain damage or something, and because she took the train mm-hmm. 184 miles up to this mm-hmm. hotel, you know, it was like very much, or it was a publicity stunt and whatnot. I mean, I, regular people don't get reported about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know, so like when you're suddenly your name is in the paper, like oh, by accident, like oh oh, she used my name. I'm the mistress of her husband. You know what yeah. I mean? And like, I'm reading it in the paper. That's what I saw in my mind. <laughs> so it is, yeah, it is all, this is all the, I mean, this is if you want to go on to unsolved whatever on YouTube, Agatha Christie, you'll find this kind oh of stuff. God. But it's going to be so good. We don't know. Yeah. All night. <laughs> There's also a really good, I, I got some of my stuff. There's a great drunk history from Comedy Central. Really? Yeah, Kirsten Dunst plays Agatha Christie. No way. Yeah. I'm if you've ever seen out. those, I'll put, put links in the show notes. But also, 
If anybody yeah. is new here, check out our show notes. They're always really, really fun. Uh, and if we mention it in the show, most of the time, it's always there. And it's always a, a laugh. It's always good. <laughs> it's always fun. It's always going to brighten your day. If you ever like this stuff, we got more content for you to go see. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that was affiliated with this, it became a feature-length film called Agatha in 1979. Lord. Features Vanessa Redgrave, Dustin Hoffman. And Does it end with them finding her at the show and going like, "My name, <laughs> my name is whatever the mistress name." It was. Yeah, I don't know what how it. It was mired in controversy because, of course, the estate sued and said, uh, "You cannot have your take on what you think happened." You know? <laughs> but it ended up getting made, and uh, I guess leading all of this, kind of like what's going on with the writing in all of this span of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a short span of time, but like. She had her five book deal. The reason the New York Times was front page and so many people was because her sixth book had just come out before this, which some people call her greatest work of all really? time. The Crime Writers oh, wow. Association, 600 people said it's the best whodunit ever written. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's, I don't, the title may not be familiar to you. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd no, came out okay. in 26 in the midst of, or shortly before. The murder before. of Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Spiritualist <laughs> leader, yeah. Um, the reason it got a bunch of controversy on its release is because it did something not usually done in this genre, which is the unreliable narrator, which nobody yes. saw. So no way. So here's, she did it. <laughs> she did it. So here's, and sorry for anybody, I mean, this came out in 26, you, I didn't know about it, but it helps to understand what's going on. So, Spoiler from a thing a hundred years ago. The Plug your ears. <laughs> the murderer is the local doctor who tells the story and is essentially the Watson character to Poirot. Incredible. And so this was crazy that the Watson She changed the game again. Is the killer. Her sixth <laughs> book. Oh, the sidekick is the killer. And also what what got people is, yeah, he's narrating it, but he technically didn't write anything untrue. Like you could have known. He didn't lie the entire wow. time he was narrating it, so he was just unreliable or was withholding or was, say, you know, explaining things in a certain yeah. way. And so this thing that came out that went people went crazy for, it's why she had so much attention on her then when she disappeared. Wow. And so it's also why then after this, she hates media. She makes no public appearances, no interviews. She doesn't even have her picture on the book jacket for a long period of time. Mm. She doesn't want anybody to know who she is, where she is, what she looks like. But this wow. book, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, is sixth book in. She's changing the game, throwing people for a loop. I mean, for real. Yeah. Um, just another mic drop. Another number one. Uh, what can you expect? And it feels yeah. so, when you say it, it feels so simple. Mm-hmm. It's obvious, but nobody saw it coming. It's incredible. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I, just to experience that when that first happened, you know, yeah. it's one of and those then- <laughs> things that gets adopted. It becomes a trope. And yeah. it's, you know, it's old hat nowadays. But then, and that first one drops and people are like tearing their <laughs> hair out at the end. Yeah. Because you think, oh, it's all the suspects. But it's like, well, now oh anybody. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after this disappearance and craziness, and then the divorce gets finalized in 1928. She basically has her eat, pray, love moment and says, I'm going off on my own. I'm traveling alone. Do it. What does she take? You deserve yeah, it. Yeah. What does she do? But take famed train, the Orient Express to Istanbul, no. Baghdad. <laughs> yeah. She's going out. She's saying, I want to see the stuff that I didn't appreciate as a kid. I was too young and spoiled. She's mm. going with this friend 
archaeologist and wife goes out for digs, goes out on another dig. She's checking out the scene. This is where she meets this couple's friend, Max Malawan, in Iraq, and they marry in 1930, shortly after, and they stayed married until her death in 76. So this is her husband. Um, And she travels travels with him on many of his digs. Lots of her novels then, thus forth, are set in the Middle East or train travel, murder on the Orient Express. She took it. it a bunch. So- I love it. Yeah. This is then you could see, oh, she's imbuing that it's not just the English country house. It's yes. the barge on the Nile and it's the train going to the Orient. Istanbul. Yeah, yes, Istanbul. Exactly. Is it, yeah. Beautiful. I mean, I'm, where you can take you can take the bedroom where the murder just happened anywhere you want to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's that's that's a key right there. Understanding how long it took her to actually travel to then understand the the value of that in her work yeah um, because it really i mean not she's changing the game she's changing the game and then she's like what if i took it to africa <laughs> what if i took it to the orient yeah. you know like yeah. and, and it's and it, again it seems so obvious but i'm like at the time it's so revolutionary and but when you bring it down to well it's simple changes yeah it's looking at well here are the pieces how do i rearrange them and then what are these pe- what are the pieces that are underestimated what are the pieces that everybody says is a given? Well, how can I flip that Do really simply? Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's very much... To her, she's probably like, this is ridiculous. I am doing no work. You know, <laughs> right. Like, to us, it's incredible. I mean, it re- you know, but, and when it's being done for the first time, it's absolutely incredible. To her, she's just, she sees how it is, how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, what's well, a Rubik's Cube? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Some of the, now we finally get into some of the adaptation film world. This is happening 1928 when she gets the divorce and decides to go. The first film adaptation, which is based on a short story of hers, The Passing of Mr. Quinn, silent film, lost, nobody can't mm, see it, whatever. But no. it also and, and it sucks that it's the first thing because it really does sour. It's like the opposite of what she wrote. It's uh, her, her Mr. Quinn is a romantic figure who solves the mystery of this guy Appleby's suicide. But in this okay. silent film, he is an alcoholic and is Applebee's murderer. But so it's like nothing like what she had even um, wrote in it. Hey, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then uh, in 31, the alibi, which was the murder of Roger Ackroyd, but it's just called the alibi. This became a film in 31. And this one is also lost to history. You know, and, and for our audience, you know, because I don't expect it. Everybody's with us all yeah. the time, but we've covered a few of these things where some of these films are lost to time. And if you didn't know, uh, there is an absorbent amount of material that is just lost in the media, uh-huh. and an incredible amount of films that were uh, made and produced at the at the advent of the medium that were just lost, uh, totally lost, mostly to fire. But yeah. Um, it's something that we cover. We come across every once in a while on these things, and just it's not a light thing when we say that. It's like it is one of the overwhelming uh, numbers of lost films uh, from the from the early days. Yeah, so it's a shame that you can't know really what it was that was so bad about this, except some you know posters and and maybe a really loose flammable, yeah. <laughs> really really flammable uh, film stock. That's what that's what did it in. Yeah, yeah. 
what wasn't flammable was the live action stuff, the play. You like that? No, the, 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 play, <laughs> the play adaptation. So this murder of Roger Ackroyd was adapted by somebody else in 28 and she disliked it, mm. the play version, which mm. then became the alibi film. Mm. So she said, fine, I'll do it myself. So this is where she becomes <laughs> the adapter for the plays. Yes. Yes. So, you know, she did. And then there were none. Finally. Witness for the Prosecution, it. which then became a big, huge film in the 50s. The Mousetrap, which is the one that has is still ongoing, oh, yes. lasted the yes. longest. Also, another crazy big stat. She's the only female playwright to have three plays simultaneously in the West End. Oh, Adaptations man. of her books. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, we need more. Yeah. <laughs> but Wow. Yeah, so you think, oh, she just did the books. No, she's also running the game on the plays and those versions. Jump with me back to Egypt and the Orient Express and whatnot. Murder on the Orient Express is in 34. And like you're saying, this seems revolutionary. But even then, she knows things got to be changed around. So Cards on the Table is one of the books that comes out in 36. And she, she knew one of the tendencies is like, oh, the unlikeliest character is going to be the one to do it. We all know that. So granted, now this is hard to believe, but this Cards on the Table is her 23rd book. It doesn't seem oh, like we've God. talked about that much, but by this point, and this is, I'll quote directly from the foreword at the beginning. She said, spot the person least likely to have committed the crime. And in nine times out of 10, your task is finished. Since I do not want my faithful readers to fling this book away in disgust, I prefer to warn them beforehand that this is not that kind of book. <laughs> I mean, good. You know, she's there. She is. She's working on the assumed rules yeah. here, and she's giving a warning that you, if you go by those rules, you will miss out. Um, and it's just one simple one, one little rule, one little reminder. Yeah. And the business side of things too. It's like you have a loyal fan base who's following this detective. Don't let them down. Mm-hmm, Set them up. Mm-hmm, so yeah, mm-hmm. Death on the Nile comes in thirty-seven the next year, which is what this one is based on. Yes. And then this this will be some of the scandal stuff. Thirty nine, her nineteen thirty nine, her best selling book comes out, and then mm. there were none, which maybe you've heard of what? before. That's the title of the book, and then there were none. Oh, I was like, no, that's not the last one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so that it's her best selling one. What is crazy about it? She really changed everything. No detective. Uh. No detective, no interview of suspects, no careful search for clues, no suspects gathered and shown the solution. They all just get picked off one by one until there are none (laughs) left. Oh, no. It's pretty nihilistic. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, Hugely successful. So is it from the killer's point of view, Alma? You know, that's interesting. I'm just trying, you know, from an arm's distance. Well, there's an epilogue that then explains. Yeah, there's an epilogue that explains how this all happened. Interesting. But uh, it... uh, one of the things now that's an out there yeah, one, you know yeah. that that not not such a just a tiny change. What number book is this? Thirty one. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like it took a while. It took a while. Um, you know that this one this one is one of those avant garde experiments. <laughs> you know, and it okay. is her best selling. It is the it is boom the, baby. Yeah. Although, so I'm not going to say it because it's horrible. But the original title, <laughs> the original title uses very racist language. No, because no, it's based no. on a minstrel show rhyme. So it. Uh, not even like in 39 when it came out not released in the u.s with that title Uh, and with that so racism anti-semitism xenophobia even though she's setting them in these places her descriptions of characters especially mm, before 1945 not good particularly jewish descriptions and some people may say 
it's a satire, it's a whatever, it's a this, but it all goes without, you know, we're talking about something from the past. Not good. Mm, no. Yeah. If you go yeah. check out these books and even look up this on Wikipedia, the title is not at all what you'd want it to be the original title. What, you know, it's unfortunate that with all of the stuff that she did, yeah. she has all of that in her books as well. Well, we're bringing you the truth, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. We're not sugarcoating it here. Yeah. So that's the controversy leading up, you know, leading up to, yeah. it does change yeah. a little bit after World yeah. War II, which is where we're at now. And she's in the war effort, worked again at a pharmacy in the University College Hospital. Here you go. More poison knowledge, <laughs> more oh, no. different ways to quietly kill people. So I like I like when things like the clue is in the specific type of device used it is only found in this culture in this segment of the world. Uh -huh. Yeah, I don't know. Just, yeah, yeah. Like, well, they would have only known about that pathogen if they studied in <laughs> Indonesia in 1921. Yeah. So one of those things, this is a suggestion from the chief pharmacist, which is hilarious, becomes her book, The Pale Horse, which comes out in 61. This was like you're talking about uh, only if only you knew. So. Three things. In 1971, there was this serial killer that was caught, Graham Frederick Young. He was known mm. as the teacup poisoner. The deaths occurring was the same cause because people thought, oh, this is an illness that's spreading around this factory. And they thought oh. he must have gotten info from this book because to the layman, unless you are a, a far chief pharmacist, oh, like no. this is exactly how you would poison people with thallium of all things. Who knows oh my God. where that is or how to get that. So- in the this is a so this is an example of somebody reading it and doing it potentially. I mean, there's no wow. direct. He didn't have yeah, it on his yeah, nightstand, yeah. but but in the prosecution, yeah, yeah. they were like, "Look at this," or the defendant. You know, wow. it, was, it was very much that's interesting thrown in. I mean, it, Although, and yeah. those those are that's the the evolution of that argument is when you get to Columbine and scream. So right, you yeah, know. yeah, 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 very much. It's like who who. But on the on the positive side, in '75, a couple years later, Agatha Christie got a letter from this woman in Latin America who said that she saved another woman who had been poisoned by her husband because she read this book and knew the symptoms and what wow. was happening. There you and go, then okay. same thing two years later in '77, there was another wow. poisoning case solved by a nurse who had read the book and recognized these weird symptoms in this baby. And it wow. and it was thallium wow. poisoning, which is so perhaps yeah. it's maybe that's so that's an argument there to say that maybe okay you're spreading the knowledge to a degree yes you, somebody might try it that wouldn't have but then you're spreading it so far and wide that then it's got so much sunlight on it that nobody would ever even try that because they know what to look for because oh I re everybody knows that now you know what I mean <laughs> you just put so much sunlight on the thing that then it yeah. becomes really in like in uh, you, you, you uh, impossible and <laughs> it was it was a thing that you could get. So it was used, though people didn't know because it was one of the things in a readily available rat poison. So then that created Gosh. legislation to be like, well, you can't, yep. you can't do yep. this. Yep. Because, well, look at that. Yeah. Look at that. I, I, well, I was, so I wonder that to further that, I, you know, how many people wouldn't, it's an unknowable, but like how many people were surreptitiously murdered that way before she wrote the, you know, she figured <laughs> that out from somewhere, you know what I mean? Um, so it's like well, her doing that while well, it might, it might've gotten the one guy that yeah. like, tried it. There were, it seems like putting that much sunlight on it kind of made that not so possible anymore. <laughs> yeah. Know about that. Although I guess we should all know about it. It was used in Spectre, the, the most recent James yeah. Bond. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Continues on. Um, no, the one before, not the most recent, the, that was the one before we just did <laughs> no time to die. Taylor, we can't, no, <laughs> we'll talk about that. 
rounding out her success in leading into this point, by the late 50s, she is earning around 2.4 million pounds. This is in 2020 money per year, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I would love to earn 2.4 million pounds a year. But in the 50s, she's earning this. Yeah. Her last book was in 73, and she died three years later. Interestingly, in her obituary, it was stated that she never cared much for cinema, wireless, or television. Mm. One of her last public outings was the 1974 Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, really? Which is kind of the the modern international revitalization. She liked it. This and Witness for the Prosecution were the only films that she liked. Both of those got a bunch of nominations and wins for the Oscars. And I guess a big piece of it is changing. uh, Maybe you could speak to some of this, but like Poirot, like with film, you kind of got to do have some backstory and and they make it a bit more. I'm I'm seeing a trend with sequels that feel pressured to have a prologue <laughs> that, yeah. to give a little bit of a, a an insight as to why this character might be this way that you know for the, the rest of the movie to end up the way it does it seasons the thematics for most of the movie we start with this prologue that's usually has some sort of like prequel-esque uh-huh and i was kind of taken when this one did that as well and 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 it does so much because it draws down on this character getting critiqued as we already covered. And so you can't do that without actually kind of, well, well, who is this guy and why, why would he be driven to do this for it? (laughs) Because this is ridiculous. How many times is he supposed to almost die? Um, I want to see that if we're going to go do this prologue stuff, I want to see that stuff be more meaningful by the end. I want to see it be part of the turn. I want to see it. I want to go back to it. I I feel like these movies never go back to it. Uh, And I don't understand because if it's supposed to season the thematics all the way through, it should be relevant enough that it, that you could go back to it at the precise moment and everybody would understand maybe, oh, it it lends this clue to this piece of momentum mm-hmm. that unlocks the answer. I want to see that. And I don't think I've quite seen that. Yeah. It's tough because like we were saying, this character is so, you have to give potentially more than what the novels are giving. Right. And so that's, that's, what, that's what was interesting to me as far as 88 was the last theatrical, from what I could tell, that this character gotcha. was given. So it's been 30 plus years. It's been relegated to, in England, TV series, mm, which I think okay. fit more of the serialized, or it's like you can have a more gradual change with people or highlight certain things. That's what that's what mm. was big. But mm-hmm. Agatha Christie's Poirot had been going on for 25 years, from 1989 to 2013. And perhaps maybe there is some of that in there, and and there. I guess there's another one of these that they're doing. Kenneth I mean, doing, he, yeah. yeah. I mean, he just won best adapted screenplay for Belfast. Um, it looks like that this one. I haven't seen a you know, rave reviews, but I think that generally people who are excited about this type of movie, these this genre of movie, there's a lot to like here, and I haven't heard any like horror hard line nose negative i think they i think there's definitely some things about it i don't like but for that there's a lot of things about it that i do like so i gotta take the if with the ands and go <laughs> hey pretty good i'm surprised that there hadn't been one since the 80s that was a uh, yeah. feature film i will be i will be interested to see what they might do next given what 
titles there are, I would like to see a very different setting and set piece. Uh, okay, so we've been on a boat. We've been on a train. <laughs> hmm. Can we do this? Can we do this in the air? <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm like, I want to look through the material and be like, well, what's got the really interesting other place that we could do this that would add a lot to it? Because I thought that the, yeah. the Egyptian added a lot of different elements to it, a lot of fun visuals to it that weren't in Orient. Orient had yeah. its own flavor. Uh, I would like to see the next one have a, another very distinct, exotic feeling flavor. Well, let's throw it out to the audience. If you yeah. know, because I didn't look into coolest, weirdest place that <laughs> she said something. Yeah. And if you are an Agatha Christie fan, yeah. reach out to us. What would you yeah. do? At Illiterate Pod on Instagram. What place it, should they set a movie in? Uh, what is the coolest? Story what Agatha Christie yeah. story has the best setting that they should do next? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Taylor. Yeah. This was this was a mountain of work. I, we could go. This could have been a four-parter on Agatha Christie, but this was a good flyby. It's something that, uh, again, we needed to do Agatha while she was hip and current and relevant, and not wait until they do the next one in the rainforest. Yeah, uh, thirty years from now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so thank you, Taylor. Yeah. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Really appreciate it. Do us a favor. Rate us wherever you listen to us. Give us that star rating, whatever you think we're worth. If you think we're worth five, thank you so much. Uh, but give us that rating. You don't know what it does for us. And if there's if there's ever an idea you got for a show, something coming out you're excited about, a book you read that you love. We got an idea this past week, Pachinko, incredible suggestion, and we're very heavily considering it. Just want to wink, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, if there's ever anything that you uh, that you think would make a great episode, don't hesitate, at pod on Instagram, and we would love to talk to you. We will see you here right back next week. We'll have the facts. <laughs> you got to have the ears, and we'll be ready. All right. <laughs> see you then.